0: Back in, it's another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. It's yours truly, Wobby. Joined as usual by my partner and co-host, Giles. Here to break down the Vikings-Eagles. Disappointing loss uh, for the Minnesota Vikings. Maybe predictable for some of you, but disappointing nonetheless. As the Vikings drop to 0-2. But we're also here to preview... The next man up and for the minnesota vikings that's the los angeles chargers who come to us bank stadium next sunday as both teams look to recover from an 0 and two start so lots to get to lots to break down let's bring giles in to help us do it hey bud how's it going
1: hey hey. Uh, a little painful monday here after a loss 0 yeah. two is not a great place to start your season but uh that being said we'll get into it there's a lot of good things to like there's obviously major cleanup that needs to happen a lot uh, across a few different categories but uh they might actually be a good team underneath it all, but not a yeah. good look from a VR standpoint.
0: Yeah, well, let's explore that, guys. Hey, look, it's let's turn over a new leaf. I mean, um, it's we're starting anew for me. It, this will be the first Vikings game as I'm in my 40s because I had my 40th birthday uh, over the weekend. You were on hand uh, to help me celebrate it in surprise style. Uh, yeah. So thank you for doing that. Uh, You did a great job making your way around the room to some unfamiliar uh, faces, all of whom are Vikings fans. You mentioned from a PR standpoint, not a great start. What is your uh, finger-on-the-pulse feeling from from the Vikings faithful? Are they giving up after 0-2, or do you think they view it maybe the way you do, or maybe underneath it all, it's still a pretty good team. We just got to uncover it somehow.
1: Yeah, that is the tough spot, because obviously with any fan base, you have highs and lows and people that are in love and people that are uh, on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. But I do think this past week I've done a lot more defending of the Vikings than I have in a long time. Uh, (laughs) A lot of people have mentioned the idea of trading Kirk Cousins to the Jets, time to burn it all down. Oh, man. Uh, Now, if you go 0-3, I maybe will entertain that conversation a little bit more than usual. But I think when you look at the statistics, there are really good things to like. It's yep. just they can't hang on to the ball. So I think from a yep. PR standpoint, there are definitely some people that are right on the edge there.
0: Okay. So before we get into Vikings Eagles, you know, I think one of the statistics that you can hang your hat on is the fact that uh, the rest of the NFC North was over on Sunday. So, yeah, you, you lost on Thursday, and so you failed to make up ground. Uh but you also didn't lose any ground because of the disappointing outcomes for the other NFC North teams. So that was a good thing, I thought, for the Minnesota Vikings, uh o- over the weekend. That was that was the silver lining. Um, on top of that, and we're gonna talk about this now, there are some things going on uh with the Vikings, particularly their strength is looking good every single week. We talk a lot about during the offseason. Are you focusing on Pulling the floor up or pushing your ceiling higher, right? And the Vikings' strength is is carrying the water. Um, I think you're at you're in a worse position, Giles, if you're 0-2 and struggling because your bread and butter isn't your bread and butter. That is not happening here for the Minnesota Vikings. You look at that game against the Eagles, Giles. Cousins, Jefferson, Hawkinson, Addison. They continue to shine. 26 targets for Addison Hawkinson Jefferson, 21 catches. 21 catches on 26 targets for 297 yards and three touchdowns. And I will also note you maybe will punch holes in this a little bit with PFF data, but Cousins sacked only twice on the 44 dropbacks. Mm-hmm. I I mean, we can anecdotally point out some plays we didn't like or but at the end of the day, when the quarterback is going down with the football just twice in 44 dropbacks against the Eagles' front, mm-hmm. I mean, you can win with that. So Absolutely, you can. You scored 28 points on the road against an elite defense in a short week. You can hang your hat on, this, on Kirk Cousins and this passing offense. Um, so I think that, aside from the rest of the NFC North losing, to me a silver lining from this past week uh, for the Vikings is – the continued greatness from that group of players
1: i could not agree more i think if you have to pin the loss on any two things it's turnover and time of possession because when you look at kirk cousins you can make an argument this is one of his best games of his entire career like as a low-key happening i feel like there was far too many things that went wrong where it overshadowed kirk's performance and I mean that not even to come to Kirk's uh, defense. It's uh, meant to identify what actually went wrong here. Because like you mentioned, when things don't go right, is it because you have a bad team and like, ah, you're the Texans now, or things went wrong and you just happened to lose the game? Unfortunately, I think those things have happened twice in a row. I really think that we don't have a train wreck of a team. I think there's a scenario where we haven't really identified how good our team is yet because of those turnovers. Now, I would love for the turnovers to go away for us to accurately assess how good is our team actually because i tend to think we actually have a pretty good team but uh i think yeah, when it comes to offensive line performance i cannot uh, agree more i think they actually held up pretty well all things considered i mean even the the uh the the People talking about the game were talking about how bad a uh, makeshift of an offensive line it was. When you think about Garrett Bradbury being out and you have Ashton Schlottman Slotman uh, in there, Oli Udo stepped in, got hurt. Then they brought in uh, the third string left tackle. That yeah. is a horrible scenario. If you were to yeah. go into that game, considering you have Kirk cousins, but considering that he's only sacked twice, I think is a godsend.
0: Yep. You know, I think, uh, you, you know, you mentioned type of possession and, there's you can debate about how important that statistic is or not. Um, it's not it's not irrelevant or unimportant. Uh, it mm-hmm. there's there's definitely more times than not a correlation between success in uh, on the scoreboard and your time of possession. Mm-hmm. And I think when you lose the time of possession the way the Vikings did, Giles in Philadelphia, it was thirty nine. it was basically 40 it was basically two to one uh the eagles held the ball for 39 and a half minutes the vikings for 20 and a half Mm -hmm. it's a lot like uh think about your budget at home it's you know okay it's like Mm -hmm. you know you're you're running out of money you're short on this uh it's not just like we got to make more more money you you got to cut back on your expenses. And so what I'm saying is it's not just you have to possess the ball more, hold the ball longer. It's you got to stop them from possessing the ball so much. And I I look at the Vikings' defense, you know, they're 6 of 14. Uh, The Eagles were 6 of 14 on third downs, which is, you know, 43%. There were times, which is not terrible, but there were times in the Mike Zimmer era where the opponent wouldn't convert in a game on third down or they'd convert once or twice on third down. Yep. Um, and so I think that's sort of uh, an area where things could get better um, for for the Vikings because I look at the way the offense is performing and I know they're not running the ball great, uh, but the passing game is performing and they're putting points up on the board. So, um, again, uh, I, I don't have any significant concerns about the offense and the play design and, and the way they're getting Addison like uncontested balls and touchdowns. I mean yep. – uh the way o'Connell's scheming it up you know i'm i'm not concerned about the offense, and we'll talk about the charger's game in a moment, but uh, I think the scoreboard's going to get lit up on sunday, uh, yeah. and a big reason for that is going to be the vikings offense
1: I think even to to circle back on the time of possession. Uh, I think it's important to provide context here because I think people look at all areas of our team and say, oh, this was a train wreck of a game. Well, when you look at the time of possession, specifically by quarters or halves, in the first half of the game, the Vikings were second in most time uh, possessing the ball offensively in the NFL. So out of all teams in the NFL, we had the second most amount of time in the first half. Okay. In the second half, we had the second least amount of time. It completely flipped the script. And yeah. we barely had any time to actually touch the ball in the second half. And when you look at that, when you consider that the Eagles had literally double the, the time of possession throughout the entire game as a whole, we almost had the same amount of yards as a team. We actually did better than them on yards per play. And oh, wow. way better than them in yards per pass attempt. So I'm like, when, when you look at product and process – it tells different stories. Obviously we, we scored less points and that's an issue, but considering that we played less than half the time, but we only lost by a touchdown. I think people should be like excited about the Vikings. Like we got just smacked in the face. We got run over by a trade frame in terms of time of possession. And we was still able to make it that close. That should really give you confidence in the Vikings that if they can fix those, those issues when it comes to actually fumbling the ball, I think you got yourself a a team here.
0: I really do. Yep, yep. So let's. Uh, I, I had this as a stat to bring up in a, like in the next uh, point I was going to make, but I'm going to bring it up now because uh, you sort of alluded to it. The first half, second half difference. There was a stretch, Giles. I went and I went back th- through the the play by play and looked this up. End of the third quarter, into the fourth quarter, there was a 23 play stretch for the Eagles' offense, mm-hmm. where they called 15 runs on 23 snaps. And they, they had 108 yards and one touchdown on the ground in that 23-play stretch. I'm sure you remember this because it was, like, painful to sit there and watch DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny just get whatever they needed to get. I mean, at will. And that included, like, a 43-yard run by Swift. Oh, they got them deep into Vikings territory. So that inability to – you know, there's – it's that whole thing where it's like they know they're going to run. We know they're going to run. They know that we know that they're going to run, and they still ran it on us, right? Like that was a major problem at a crucial moment in the game for the Vikings defense, and it has to get fixed or else they're not going to be able to come back from the O two 2 deficit.
1: I could not agree more, and I think uh, when you lean into the the additional context to that, I think it's partially because they simply got tired out. Yeah. Like I mean, when you when you have the defense out on the field for that long, and then obviously de- offensively we had turnovers and things like that. Like when you get tired out, I think it's really hard to put a stop to those things. I yep. really do.
0: Yep. No, I. I. You're right. You know, and there's uh, the whole like imposing your will against someone else, right? Uh, mm. and the momentum, and confidence that a team can gain or the other team can lose when that's happening. You know, and, and the other thing, too, Giles, on this is on the flip side, the Vikings offense is not able to do that to another team's defense from a running the ball standpoint, right? We just talked about how great they're doing in the passing game mm-hmm. with execution, with play design, uh, and efficiency. Mm-hmm. They're not able to do that in the running game. Nine carries for 28 yards for running backs against the Eagles for the whole game. 14 mm-hmm. carries for for 34 yards for running backs against Tampa Bay. You total that out, it's 23 carries for 62 yards and no touchdowns in two games for Vikings running backs. Yep, That's, that's not going to do it, man.
1: That is going to be a showstopper. I do completely agree. I think we've been able to overcompensate with passing, but that will come to a head at certain moment, uh, yep. moment in time, and maybe it will against the Chargers. With that in mind, do you see the Vikings making a change at running back? Do you sign somebody in free agency?
0: Yeah, I can see like it. I mean, after
1: a cream hunt, I know they had him in the building.
0: So, the the way I think you get over the hump on doing that, Giles, is if your full analysis at the end of the day, you are sitting there going, "I actually think we're run, we're blocking this up the right way. <laughs> we're just we're not executing at the running back position, or we just don't have the juice at at running back. If that's mm-hmm. the analysis and the outcome that the coaching staff has, then you got to go get one." For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they've gotten to that point. I certainly haven't picked up on that from O'Connell. I I don't know that they are blocking it um, as well as they, they could. What do you think?
1: So that is the interesting part here because I think if you were to point out the – the areas in which the offensive line is strong going into the season. I think it would have definitely been against the run versus the pass. When you look at our interior now, granted Garrett, bradbury has been out. So that's maybe a piece of this, but Ezra Cleveland is typically a top 10 run blocker in the NFL period. Full stop. He is amazing at run blocking. He struggles at pass protection. And although Ed Ingram has a lot of different issues, he was better against the run than he was at the pass and we are doing way better with pass protection this year than run. Now, I don't know if that's a schematic change that we've yeah. adjusted. I can't pick up on that yet. Or I don't know if I've watched enough tape to say, oh, we clearly have changed things to prioritize pass protection and, and sacrifice of the run. But currently out of 32 NFL teams, we are 29th in yards per rush attempt. We are 2.7 yards per rush attempt. In contrast, San Fran is at number one. Yeah. They're at 5.6 yards per rush right behind the Jets, uh, Cleveland, and then Buffalo for the top four, and then Philadelphia is top five. And all of them are between 4.9 and 5.6 yards per carry. And we are specifically okay. at 2.7. I think that's going to be an issue if we're really trying to uh, give the, uh, the, the 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 pass game a really uh, bit of ump when it comes to play action. I think that will become an issue if we really want to continue passing the ball and moving the ball down the field.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I'm concerned about their overall play in the trenches save for pass protection which i've been pleasantly surprised as being okay Mm -hmm. and really one of the worst plays from a pass protection standpoint was the sack fumble that cousins took against tampa bay yeah um but i thought he held on to the ball too long there and he should have seen that coming so i'm not even going to pin that totally on the offensive line so Mm -hmm. you know I think they get bullied. I think they get bullied, especially in the run game. I, so I think that's a major concern. I'm not mm-hmm. against signing a running back or trading for a running back if they think that's going to give them a little more pop. Um, mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. The last thing that I wanted to get to before we go to PFF grades from the Eagles game started off this analysis here from Philadelphia. Happy with Cousins, Jefferson, Hawkinson, Addison in the passing game. I was also happy with the way they defended Jalen hurts and his weapons in the passing game I completely as awful agree. as they were. Yeah. As awful as they were against the run. I mean, hurts only had 18 completions. He was picked off once AJ Brown, four catches for 29 yards. Devonta Smith got one deep. He, he got deep on you once. But mm-hmm. um, aside from that, I thought, so from a finesse standpoint, the skill positions, I think the Vikings have been fine mm-hmm. where, where they're getting stung is is up front. Yeah. O-line and D-line, they're getting outplayed on both sides of the ball.
1: Yep, could not agree more. And I think even looking at Philly, they only had 171 yards uh, via pass. Like, they did yeah. not throw the ball at all. Versus, I mean, that, we, yeah. we passed the ball double the amount. Uh, yeah. So I, I completely agree about containing Jordan Hur- uh, uh, Jalen Hurts. I think uh we'll get into the PFF grades but I think there was a certain player that was able to keep that in contain, uh something that we may have, may have mentioned last week but I completely agree the trenches where this is where this really hurt.
0: Yeah. All right, let's uh let's do that guys. Let's um, so the way we sort of analyzed it there was um you know uh high level game flow, what's the narrative, but let's let's get into the science and the data. Uh, what's PFF telling us happened from uh from the Eagles game on Thursday night.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start on the defense because that's what we're talking about. Uh, yeah. Anybody that stand uh, stood out to you? Let's let's talk about the top five players according to PFF because uh, I think uh, there's things to like. There are things that uh, you know maybe need to improve a little bit if you're looking at the top five and then the bottom five. Uh, yeah. But who do you think are the best players that uh, really showed up and showed out?
0: Well, I, I don't I don't know if the sacks just make it look good and the rest was awful, but you know, Daniel Hunter was obviously a factor. Um, I also really liked uh, Harrison Phillips. I thought he gave a good accounting of himself. So those two players for me, for sure. Um, I thought Jordan Hicks was around the ball a bunch. And then um, I'm, I have to think it was probably another pretty good showing for Cam Bynum. Um, so those are sort of just like really quickly, first blush, um, who was okay on defense? I'd say Bynum, Phillips. Uh, Hunter for sure and then I thought Jordan Hicks was around the ball a lot but I thought that last year too and um, he didn't always find himself in the top five or top three so but those four players kind of stood out to me
1: and that is the interesting part about PFF because it measures process and what they were asked to do versus just outcome results so sometimes it can be a little bit uh, adjusted Uh, so you did have one of the players right and that was Cam Bynum he ranked third on defense uh, on Thursday he had an 81.5 grade did phenomenally in the run the pass Uh, tackling this guy is clearly gotten back to true form where he was his rookie season. So I'm really excited because I was a little bit down on him this past off season. And he's really stepped up. He's been our best safety thus far, uh, to be honest, like he's been phenomenal. So I'm really proud of combine. I'm glad to have him on the team. He's an awesome dude. Uh, And an 81 for the second game in a row, I think is a a great sign for great things to come from the safety room. Now, when it comes to Daniel Hunter, he actually ranked in the bottom third. Again, did not have a great showing. Um, I can't tell exactly what's going on here. I don't know if it's simply been because market Davenport has been, uh, out of the game and there hasn't been true pressure on the other side. And when you look at Daniel Hunter, his entire career with the Minnesota Vikings, he's always had a stud on the other side. And this has really been kind of the first time he hasn't had a true edge rusher on the other side. So I don't know if he's just getting double teamed and washed out, but not a good performance by Hunter.
0: I'd have to dig into those that data further. Um, was he was he awful against the run, or were those three sacks his only wins in, in the pass rush game? I mean, those could be two reasons why he ended up in the bottom third. But
1: yep, uh, he was pretty abysmal in run. He yeah. had some pretty severe tackling issues. He had an okay grade in pass rush, like obviously he had the three sacks, uh, and then coverage when he was backed off, he was abysmal. So obviously that can adjust his performance, or you know his his PFF grades, but when it comes down to what you want out of a player, uh, three sacks is still pretty good.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. You're right. I mean, and that's the thing, you know, if a guy doesn't play very well for most of the game, but he had two sacks and one of them was a strip sack and, you know, you turn the ball over because of it. I mean, that you can kind of live with that, right? Yeah. Um, yep. but, but maybe the fact that the Eagles ran the ball so well um, – probably excludes anyone in the front seven from being able to perform well or grade well from a PFF standpoint. Um, how about Harrison Phillips? Where was he?
1: Yeah, exactly. C- completely agree. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately for – well, I shouldn't say I, – I, fortunately, Harrison Phillips was on the top six. Uh, he did yeah. uh, really well in the run, actually. He was the only guy on the defensive line to have a good game against the run and then uh, struggled in a few other areas, um, but not to be unexpected against a greater line. Yep. Yeah. So uh, we got Cam Bynum at three. Um, So I'm going to start with the bottom five, and I'll go all the way up. So we uh, have the fifth overall graded player with a Caleb Evans was a 65.3 grade. Didn't do too well in the run, uh, but obviously he's a cornerback, but he graded uh, pretty well in coverage. I was really excited to see him taking a step forward um, as the fifth best player on the team from the defense standpoint. And right above that, we have Makai Blackman, uh, the fourth overall graded player. He had a 66.4 grade. I'm really high on Makai Blackman. He gave, obviously, from USC. Um, I think by the end of the season, I expect him to be a really darn good player obviously this is just his second nfl game as a rookie the fact that he's playing this well as a rookie is a good sign in my opinion maybe you disagree but i think as a rookie if you're oh yeah you know brushing up against the 70s from a pff standpoint considering he wasn't a top 10 pick i i'm i'm really pleased with makai blackman Agreed. And then we have uh, Cameron Bynum at uh, three, obviously. And then coming in at number two is my boy Ivan Pace Jr. with an 86.3 grade. What a baller! Wow. I think he was one of the reasons that Jalen Hurts was contained. This guy was okay. flying all over the field. Considering once again that this guy is an undrafted free agent, he's quickly becoming one of the best middle linebackers in football. Uh, nice. He had a 90.4 grade in pass rush, like just phenomenal. Amazing tackler, uh, amazing in coverage. The only downside he has is in the run game, but he's still got a 68.3 grade. Like, if that's what bad looks like in him, I'll take that all day long. He's still yep. two, two inches too short, but he's proven that that doesn't matter in his game. So really excited for Ivan Pace Jr. And the number one graded player on defense, uh, unfortunately, came because of an injury uh, with Theo Jackson. Ah. Came in at a 93.7 grade. I think Good for uh, him. He's kind of like a a, not a household name when it comes to safeties in Minnesota Vikings territory. But uh, the fact that he was able to make it on the field, like one of the first plays that he was on the field, he got scorched by that uh, that deep ball. uh, And I don't think it ended up right away as a touchdown, but it eventually became a touchdown. Uh, And I think he turned around and was phenomenal. He obviously got that pick that helps things, but he was a relatively shut down safety. So really excited for Theo Jackson and this kind of references our our episode from a few weeks ago that we have a really great safety room. It's, it's pretty yep. deep when we're getting yep. down to that level and you're putting Theo Jackson in the game and he still ends up with a 93.7 grade. That's really exciting. Yep. But on the flip side, not to be too negative, the fact that your third or fourth string safety was your highest ranked BFF graded player, uh, does not speak volumes about the rest of your team, For the <laughs> other guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, unfortunately the bottom five, uh, you got Brian Asamoah coming in at a 46.7 grade did not, have a, another good game. He only played like nine snaps on on uh, in the run and like four in coverage. So didn't play a ton, but did also not do well. Um, so unfortunately with Brian Asamoah, Brian Murphy Jr. also got washed out. He got uh, scorched in some tackling, was not good in the run, and was meh in coverage. So not a great showing by Brian Murphy Jr. So the, hopefully we can see that improve. Kyrie's Tonga also did not have a good game. Dean Lowry and Pat Jones were the bottom two. Uh, Pat Jones, unfortunately, had a 29.7 grade. Uh that's that's grounds for removal off the field in my opinion, if you're getting <laughs> yeah. down to that category. All due yeah. respect, he's a physical freak, but lacks some fundamentals and technique. So I think uh it's time that maybe we need to make a change at that realm, uh especially with Marcus Davenport. Cause obviously both for both uh Christian Derissaw and Marcus Davenport, both of those players uh were active on game day, but because of injury were we're forced to sit on the sidelines.
0: All righty. Um that group going to be challenged on Sunday against the Chargers uh, because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a team with another good set of skill position players, yep. particularly if Austin Eckler is healthy. So um, need a couple of those guys in the bottom five to, to lift themselves up. And um, it's a little all-hands-on-deck challenge here for the Vikings defense uh, going into the, the Chargers game at 0-2 and, and needing to slow down a, a really good offense. Um, all right, let's, yep. let's go to offense and the PFF grades.
1: Yeah, well, last thing before I go to the offense, I think on defense, it is important to note that I think we had a pretty good first half of the game. Uh, I Mm -hmm. think we were pretty stout against the run, actually, in a lot of respects. And then we simply let time and possession get away from us, and then we had to adjust, and we got really tired. So I do think, although we're not the shutdown defense, uh, you know, Legion of Boom style from Seattle— I do think we're average. I do, I do think we're an improvement off of what we were last year. So if we can at least keep the game close and we don't let things get running away, uh, running away from us, I think we'll be okay defensively. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to offense, who do you think showed up? Top five players. Start
0: shooting. Jefferson, Addison, O'Neal, Hawkinson, Cousins.
1: That is a great set. Uh, Jordan Addison uh, was seventh. Uh, still did pretty good. Uh, I think uh, there's an opportunity for him to take another step forward. I think he's still kind of in that WR3 category. So I'm really hoping that considering some of the issues with KJ Osborne, which we'll get to here <sighs> in a second, uh, yeah. I think Jordan Addison maybe might uh, be getting elevated up the depth chart uh, into yep. WR2. So I think when you're playing 12 personnel sets, I really do hope that Addison, uh, is added into that set. So, uh, really excited to see what we can do with Jordan Addison. He's a really good showing for the first two games of his NFL career. Uh, starting with number five though, we do have TJ Hawkinson. He had a 75.5 grade did great. Uh, he had a little bit of a struggle against the pass, uh, in terms of pass blocking, uh, but in other, every other category he was doing really, really well. So the fact that he's top five player is to be what expected, uh, considering his payday and his contributions to our offense, and then. Number four coming in uh, with Brian O'Neill ended the day at a 75.6 grade. I believe if I remember correctly, he's only had one pressure in the entire two games that we played, which is number one in the NFL across all tackles left and right. Like he is very quickly gotten back to true form after his injury, which I'm really, really excited for. So once we can get Christian Derrissaw back, there's a chance that we end the year. Now this is maybe a bold take, but hear it. We end the year with two top five tackles. I really do. I can see that They're, I mean, Christian Derrissi is one of the best tackles in the NFL. I love him. And Brian O'Neill was always like fringe top 10, in my opinion, but now he's gotten better. He really has. Um, So really, really excited about that. And coming in at three is Josh Oliver at a Mm -hmm. 78.8 grade. Uh, best, I, I, honestly, I think he could be a top 10, maybe even a top 5 tight end by the end of the year. I'm really, really excited about him. I think there's a chance that he ends the year better than TJ Hawkinson. I really do. He's a better blocker. And when targeted, I actually think he's pretty good. Like, yeah. Josh Oliver has proven to be one of the best additions of the offseason. So really, yeah. really excited about his performance. Good at yeah. uh, run blocking, pass blocking, and receiving.
0: Yeah, I think he's a when you. I I won't be surprised either if he's a guy whose PFF grade is among the best tight ends in the league when the season's over, you know, because he just, he does things. He allows you to do things as an offense that make it hard to guard you. And he's not, there's really no point on the field in which you would like, like, because you're at this point in the field, you can't use him. I mean, I think he's he'd be great in the red zone because you can bulk up and have two or three tight ends on the field and he can block for you or you can go play action with him. Mm-hmm. I think if it's a four-minute situation, you've got, you know, a 10-point lead or a seven-point lead with three and a half minutes to go. You want him on the field in your four-minute. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he's a really versatile player and he he's probably one of those guys that almost never makes a catastrophic or bad mistake, you know, so mm-hmm. – Agree. Yeah, Yeah, he's always a solid
1: Mister Consistency. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, And the guy throwing in the ball comes in at number two, Kirky Boy, Uh, Kiko Chains, Mister Fourth Quarter Comeback himself. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen this last week. But uh, he did end the year at a, or end the game rather at an 83.1 grade. Uh, like I said, I did think this is one of his better games of his career considering how much he was getting pressured. Although he didn't get sacked a ton, there was definitely some pressure. And with the time of possession, considering what we were able to do offensively, I think he actually showed up pretty well. Now, yep. obviously, we didn't win the game, so we need to improve those, uh, those turnovers. But uh, Kirk, I think, is, is starting to hit his stride if we can keep our hands on the ball and All then right. obviously coming in at number one is the best non-quarterback in the nfl Justin just yep. came in at a yep. 90.0 grade played every single snap and did it phenomenally uh aside from the very weird snafu and uh, the touchback play he yep. played phenomenally that should have been the touchdown uh, unfortunately, the ball didn't land where we wanted it to be. I do think that that play will be what changes the rule. I think this upcoming offseason, the NFL will meet as an organization, and they're going to look back to that specific play. Really? And say, Let's get rid of that rule. That's
0: stupid. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Do you disagree? Um, that, that it'll get changed or yeah. that it's a dumb rule?
1: Uh, well, both. But uh, tell me I'm wrong. I don't know. I mean, I, give me a reason to, to think about it the other way.
0: Uh, well, I don't mind the rule. It's okay. it, it's like it's it's one of the rules that has it. It's one of the like significantly consequential rules in the league that favors the defense. There aren't yep. many of those, right? Um, more times than not, it's the rules and everything in place is designed to help offense to increase scoring. So I like that part of it. The second thing is it's like, like you're down by the end zone, man. Like you, you have to take care of the ball. And if, you know, extending the ball out to try and score is a risk. And mm-hmm. I I think that if you're going to, take a risk with the opportunity for a great gain there there needs to be on the the inverse of that there needs to be the opportunity for a, a terrible loss so um i get that
1: that makes it, sense when you when you state it that way
0: and also all you need to do to score a touchdown as a ball carrier now as a receiver you got to do a lot more than this but as a ball carrier all you have to do it's just it's got to be in just like that that's it you don't have to get the whole ball across. So I, I know it's an unpopular opinion, but I, I kind of like the rule. Now, will it be changed is a whole, that's a whole nother matter. Um, uh, I haven't ever really sensed great momentum for it actually changing at the end of the day, uh, but it would help the offense. It would increase scoring and owners are very much influenced by that. So yeah. I could see it changing.
1: And I guess that's where my hypothesis or my opinion came from because the entire NFL is predicated on viewership, right? And when they're building rules, it's built off of keeping the players safe and getting more viewership. And when I think about that rule, uh, even the, the team that benefited from it, I don't think they were, like, overly excited. I mean, I, don't, I think they were excited, but it's kind of like, a, oh, I guess we have the ball. It's not like, oh, we stole the ball. We earned the ball back. It's a yeah. technicality. It wasn't even a, we stopped him on, on fourth down, and now we get the yeah. ball back. It was like, oh, I guess we get the ball because of a technicality. And it just it feels like it kills momentum, nor does it give – I mean, although it gives momentum to the other team, it feels like a weird play. So in the spirit of viewership and scoring and all the things that the NFL likes, that's my thought on why the, the, the rule may change.
0: So I would say then – so if, if you were a competition committee member or another owner with me and we were in the room, I would say, well, what, then, then what happens to the ball then? So you reach out to try and score a touchdown – you lose control of it and it goes out of the end zone. Yep. Where, where so, does it go?
1: So, clarification do you think he had possession of the ball and it was a fumble? Because I know some people were arguing over that fact, but are we assuming that he had possession and I'm, fumbled?
0: I'm saying so, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh,
1: so then I think it should be placed at the one yard line.
0: Okay. So it just goes back to the spot of the fumble.
1: Yeah, exactly. Just like everywhere else. Because if you fumble out of bounds, it just goes back to the spot. Now, yep, it does. I've yep. heard some people talk about, well, Like, it's more about the consistency, right? Because if it's every other spot on the field that just gets put at the spot of the fumble or a spot of the foul or a spot of the the play, what if you adjusted that? And if it goes out of bounds as a fumble, then the other team gets it everywhere just to have a level of consistency. Like, just treat it the same, you know what I mean, whether it's in the touchdown or the the end zone or not. Now, I don't know if I'm in favor of that. I'm not. Uh
0: I'm not in favor of that. So, to (laughs) me, the difference is you're right. There's a consistency consideration here that you you lose consistency when you treat a fumble that goes out of bounds via the end zone you treat that differently than a fumble that goes out of bounds via the sideline mm-hmm. but going back to the what are you attempting to gain by taking this risk you're attempting to gain not a, a fresh set of downs you're attempting to gain a touchdown you know yeah, so, or at
1: least a shot at it, right? I mean, there's yeah, a, and, than a field goal, but at least it keeps the offense on the field.
0: So it's like if, this, if you lose a ball through the end zone and your only negative consequence is the ball just goes back – like you, you can be more cavalier and riskier with that. You can, fl- you, can, you can reach the ball out and flail it and not worry about losing possession of it by mm-hmm. it going through the end zone. So I think the high-stakes nature of what you gain – by extending the ball to try and score has to be counteracted by the high stakes, r- the risk uh, that you can incur by, by losing it. So I, well, I you like can it. Make the
1: same argument on, on like a first down, right? If you're extending, yeah. you trying to get a first down and then you fumble, you yeah. still get the ball back right now. Granted, if it's fourth down, then you're gone, but that's a whole nother set of rules. Yeah. I, I get both sides. I just, I do think it will be a, a play that's reviewed in the off season to discuss yeah how do we put the most productive and like enjoyable to watch football game on
0: the field? Exactly. And that is what it should come down to. Right. I mean, um, player safety and fan experience that those are the two things that have to govern your, the rules of your game. So full stop. Yeah, uh,
1: But ultimately, Justin Jefferson, other than that play, where he yeah. obviously, you can make an argument he lost the game there because it really was a 10-point shift after yeah. that, uh, yeah. that that was a big reason we lost the game. He played phenomenally. Other than that, he's, he's proven that he's even maybe gotten better. Uh, the fact that he's already scored yeah. above a buck fifty every single game, if he continues that on, he's going to shatter the 2,000-yard record. Uh, now, yep. obviously, it's hard to, to predict that for every single game moving forward, but he's uh, obviously shown up through the first two games.
0: Yep. All right, interesting. Anything else that uh, we should make sure we hit before we move on to Chargers-Vikings?
1: Um, I think lastly is the people that did not do well on offense. Yeah. Uh, the bottom five is Alexander Madison, KJ Osborne, Ty Chandler, Oli Udo and Austin Schlotman. all players that I think play relatively important positions. Obviously, Oli Udo is a backup tackle, which is important when you don't have your tackle, right? So that's an issue. Yep. Austin Schlottman is your backup center. You don't have your starting center. So that is uh, two offensive linemen. That's going to be an issue. And then our run game, our two starting running backs were the, the, in the bottom three from a run standpoint, that is a concerning thing. Now you could play that in, uh, you know, the offensive line's hands uh, in terms of having backup uh, guys across the entire line, but our run game is something to be concerned about. I think
0: it is. It is because um, it's complementary football. It works hand in hand uh, with time of possession and getting your defense rested. And uh, it's a momentum thing. It's a confidence thing. It's a it's a brand. What's your brand of football? No football team wants to be known as one that cannot impose its will on the other. And without a running game, you know, you can't do it. And, again, I go back to that 23-play stretch at the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, where the Eagles just completely, from a physical standpoint, took over the game with DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny and the runs. And even though there was still time to go and the Vikings ended up scoring one more time, at, at the conclusion of that 23-play stretch that the last play was a two-yard touchdown plunge, I was like, "This, I, I think that's it. I mean, yeah. I, I think the the deal was sealed right there. So, yep, yeah, uh, they have to get better on the ground. I don't know how they do that um, aside from getting injured guys back, Darisaw and Bradbury. Um, but, yeah, I think just playing better at the running back position is probably part of it. Yeah. Um, I know they've got an option on the practice squad of someone they could bring up. Uh, as you mentioned, they uh, they had uh, Kareem Hunt in the building, so they, they were obviously some sh- at least a shade of concern before the season started about this, right? Because they were looking at backs. So yep. what, what would you advocate for?
1: So it kind of depends on what your uh, optimistic outlook of the Vikings are this season. If you look at them and say, all right, remove turnovers from the ca- occasion. We have two obviously uh, egg, uh, just horrible games, right? Uh, we, we lost, we, we, uh, we turned the board over way too much. Yep. If you view them as a good team and you actually think they can go the distance, but you think the run game is the one thing holding us back. Let me throw a scenario at you. Okay. we talked about it before, but let's get a little more concrete here. Would you trade a third or fourth round pick for one year of Jonathan Taylor? Just one, you're not planning on paying him, but you're just going to rent him for a year for a third or fourth round pick.
0: Yes. I would. Let him walk in free
1: agency afterwards. Yep.
0: Yep. And, well, two things about that. One is I know there are people listening and there are people in the NFL world who would be like, you can't just throw draft picks away like that, right? And I've said myself, the devaluation of the running back position, I kind of don't always disagree with it in this league. I think you can get running backs almost anywhere. With that being said, the Vikings – are a team that is in the win-now window. I don't love what they've done with their draft picks under the new regime anyway, Uh, so you get Jonathan Taylor for it. And who's to say that whatever the new reality is, next season and beyond, doesn't include Jonathan Taylor as a free agent signing? Who's to say it, it couldn't? Yeah. So I think I would do it. How about you?
1: I don't have my glasses on. Is that less need I'm talking to today? Uh, i just F kidding. them picks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, they're not doing too bad this year again. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I th- if it's a third or fourth round pick, I think i maybe give it a try. I am maybe more optimistic than most Minnesota Vikings fans when it comes to their proje- trajectory in the 2023 season. I really think they could go the distance because they have made major improvements on defense. If you keep that ball... Yeah game close on Thursday, there's no way that our run game uh, on defense gets that bad, which is truly what, what destroyed our our team. We couldn't stop the run because we were tired. Yep. If you don't get tired and you're able to continue moving the ball and we're if we're able to run the ball effectively now we can slow the, the game down on our side yep. I truly think we could have won both against the Eagles and against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because yep. I think we have one of the best passing units in the league. If you can counterweight that with at least an average run game, I think you can make that work and right now we're Bottom three.
0: Yeah. Um does Miles Gaskin have any juice left?
1: The fact that he's on the practice squad tells me that there's not enough juice there. There might be some, but I don't know if they're super confident in it. Uh but I guess we'll see who gets elevated come Sunday. I think well actually let me take that back. I think if you go through the Chargers game, I think they'll give their running back unit another run uh, literally and figuratively if that does not go well i do expect this team to make changes whether they make it up front and they sign a different guard because they think it's truly the blocking that is leading to this lack of production or they make a change at running back but i don't yep. expect them to keep this going after three games if that continues there's going to be a change and the change will signify what they think is actually wrong
0: yep i agree with you and just from a results and production standpoint, Giles, they can't keep this nine carries, twenty-eight yards, fourteen carries, thirty-four yards in the in the first two games. I mean, that's that's <laughs> That's not gonna that's not gonna work. It's gonna take too much of a toll on the passing game and the pass protection, and and you're gonna see regression over there mm-hmm. because you couldn't fix the. It doesn't have to be twenty twelve Adrian Peterson, man. It's gotta. No. It's just gotta be, you know. It, it can even be what it was last year, almost. I think you wanted yeah. to be a little bit better than it was last year, but yeah. I mean, it's just, um, it's just not good enough. There's not even a semblance of balance. Yep. I mean, you don't have to respect the Vikings' running game. You you can prepare for the Vikings without respecting it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yep. So. Yep. And that's become the issue. And then then dominate time of possession, and then you lose the game that way. So it's yeah. far more an impact that it has on game flow than actually even production, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. So I. I don't think a trade for Jonathan Taylor is is likely. Yeah, would I do it? Yes. <clears throat> for the way you laid it out, a third or first round pick, I would do that. Um, I, I don't, I don't see it happening. But that's not to say something on a smaller scale wouldn't, right? Like Leonard um,
1: Fournette's still available. Now he doesn't have near the amount in the tank that Jonathan Taylor does, but he. I could like that a, you know, though,
0: Giles. Like yeah. that.
1: Deep. And they restructured Brian O'Neill's contract. So we have 9.9 million in cap space to throw around, not to throw around, but like there's some interesting things he could do with that. And that tells me also that they're maybe preparing for a signing. Like the fact that they did that now versus, I mean, maybe you've been in the building a lot longer than I have. So uh, (laughs) if you think that I'm looking at that the wrong way, I don't know. I I think that they're preparing for something.
0: Yeah, no, you, I mean, you don't, you don't do things like that for no reason. I mean, there's a reason yeah. that they did that, you know, um, yeah. and there's a lot of different reasons it could be, and that might be one of them. Um, but it's just not been good enough at the running back position, and it's fair to anticipate a change, and maybe it'll be something high-level like that. I mean, even I would say a Kareem Hunt signing would be high-level, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: So, Yeah, because yeah, he was definitely the one-two punch when it comes to the Browns running game. So, yep. uh, yeah, I would, not, uh, I would not discount that. That would be a great addition. Yep.
0: And let, let's transition and, and talk about the Chargers game by mentioning they have one of the better dual-threat all-purpose running backs in the National Football League, and look what it does for their offense, and he was missing last week uh, as the Chargers dropped a game to the Tennessee Titans. So uh, we're going to get a, a first-hand, up-close, uh, front-row seat look at, uh, assuming Eckler makes it back to the lineup, at what a talented running back can do for an offense, as the Los Angeles Chargers come to US Bank Stadium on Sunday to face the Minnesota Vikings. Now, odds makers Giles have in, uh, installed this game as a pick 'em for Vikings-Chargers, um, a pick 'em contest with a point total of 52. Uh, from a team morale perspective, Giles, um, and you know, a season-long narrative standpoint, I think this is sort of a gotta-have-it game for both teams, but uh, specifically for the Vikings, you gotta have it. Now, mathematically, realistically, I think you can overcome an zero three start because of what happened this past weekend in the NFC North. No one, no one gained ground on the Vikings. They all lost. So, you can survive it if you don't win this one. But from a morale, momentum, and what what you know, a PR as you mentioned, standpoint, gotta have this one here. Um, So who are these Los Angeles Chargers? Well, their head coach is Brandon Staley, who's defensive-minded. He runs the show for their defense. They run a 3-4, and it's really a star-studded defense, really, Giles. A lot of really good players uh, on the Chargers' defense. I mean, you can start sort of up front in that front seven where they have Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. Uh, In the back end, they have Derwin James and J.C. Jackson, Asante Samuel Jr., and in the middle, of course, they have Eric Kendricks, who also missed – Uh, The game against the Tennessee Titans Uh, offensively, uh, the coordinator is uh, Kellen Moore, who came from the Dallas Cowboys, and they've got some high level names on offense as well with Justin Herbert, Mike Williams, uh, Austin Eckler and uh, uh, Keenan Allen at wide receiver. Um, So um, some some names here that we all know. Um the, the Chargers 0-2, they got lit up by Tua Tagovailoa and the Miami Dolphins in week one. Tua had 466 yards passing. Tyreek Hill had 215 receiving yards. And then last week against Tennessee, uh, they dropped a game in overtime um, as they, they drove 60, 60 yards in 10 plays and kicked a field goal to tie it, and then the, the Titans beat them in overtime. Uh, Joey Bosa had two sacks last week, so he's a guy you got to watch out for. Um, you know, he can, he can wreck a game for you. Uh, Keenan Allen had 111 yards and, and two touchdowns on eight catches. Uh, no running game really to speak of. Josh Kelly filled in for Austin Eckler but only had 39 yards on on 13 carries. So um, that's sort of the, um, the lay of the land here against the Chargers. That's who they are. That's how they operate. I've got a very specific uh, area, Giles, where I think the Vikings have a distinct and significant advantage in this game. Um, but I'll, I'll sort of stop there for now and we'll get into that. Uh, but as I sort of lay that out, who the chargers are, what are your overall thoughts here on this game for the Vikings heading into week three?
1: So if this game was like week six or week seven, I actually think this might be the game that gets Brandon Staley fired. Yeah. Yeah. I really do. I think, uh. Although the Chargers are a great team, they have a stacked roster. I do think they have been failing to meet expectation. And I I view that in a different lens than the Minnesota Vikings because I think the Minnesota Vikings are also in that category where they have not met expectations. But I think it's been because of their performance, not because of mistakes. I really do. I think they have been a a relatively lackluster defense thus far through two games. Uh, I think both Mac and Bosa on the defensive side of the ball have been kind of meh. Like mm-hmm. I honestly, I mean, maybe that's a hot take, but I, I think both are phenomenal players, but considering how much of a force you have on both sides of that line, they have not achieved what I thought they could do as a defense. I think JC Jackson, he's been like bottom five in quarterbacks in the league this year. Yep. Um, and he used to be amazing. I mean, through 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, he was a great uh, quarterback last year. He got yep. hurt. And then this year, maybe he just has lost a step or I don't know what happened, but he has not been the quarterback that he once was, um, I think Derwin James has been kind of in that same category. He was amazing in 2018, amazing in 2019, 2021, 2022, amazing. And this year he has dropped off in a pretty significant way um, in his fifth year. So I don't know if it's a schematic change that happened and, you know, like it, there's something going wrong there. But I do think this is something that the Minnesota Vikings offense can take advantage of. And when I think about the, the Chargers offense, I think... I think we're going to be able to go toe-to-toe with them. I think when when I look at all the different matchups, I think Bynum in the safety room is going to be able to go toe-to-toe with uh, Gerald Everett. Um, I think the only area that I'm kind of concerned is on the line. Obviously, our defensive front is not amazing and they have a fairly decent offensive line you got rashawn slater who is one of the best left tackles in the game uh yep. and then cory lindsley who has been quite regularly a pretty star center he's had a, a little bit of a dip in performance but he's still a pretty star i think uh that will be the area that we're, we're challenged in um but i think we'll at least be able to to put up enough boards or uh, points on the board where uh we're gonna be able to win the game i do think it's gonna be high scoring though i really do
0: yeah i um it's the highest point total on the board Uh, in week three for uh, the NFL slate, Uh, and and by a lot, really. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the next highest is the Bears Chiefs at Mm -hmm. 49, maybe, and the Vikings are – Chargers are sitting there at 52. So um, this is not going to be, you know, anything novel here, Giles, but the Vikings attack here uh, through the air against this defense for sure. Uh, we just talked about how important it is to get the running game improved, to block it better, maybe make a change at running back. <laughs> but you, you, you attack the Chargers through the air. And as yep. long as you can block up Mack and Bosa enough to not let them ruin the game and strip sack your quarterback all the time, uh, there is gold to find in the hills against the Chargers defense. They are surrendering a completion percentage of 69.5%, and they are allowing 10.3 yards per attempt. Uh, Tua was 28 of 45 against them. Tannehill was 20 of 24 against them. Mm. Here's the stat that I couldn't believe that I read. In, In two games so far this season, the Chargers' pass defense has faced 69 pass attempts. They only have two passes defensed in two games <laughs> San Diego or a Los Angeles Chargers defenders have broken up two passes in two games and that is unbelievable considering Tua put the ball up in the air 45 times against them yep. and Tannehill 24 more times I mean receivers are gaining separation receivers are running wide open um it's it's a complete bonanza right now against the Chargers' pass defense, and I don't know that the Chargers, the Chargers know that this is a problem. They're trying to fix it, and now they got to go against Justin Jefferson. Yep. I don't know that there's a worse, and so it might not be Week Six when Brandon Staley gets fired, Giles. It it might. I don't want him to lose his job. I'm absolutely yep. not advocating for that or rooting for that, but. This this is a house of horrors. The state of the Chargers' guy. pass defense, yes. The the state of the Chargers' pass defense and what the first two teams did to them. This is a house of horrors coming to US Bank Stadium against Kirk Cousins and Hawkinson and Jefferson and Addison. And I'm not trying to overhype, you know, what the Vikings have done or could do. I'm just saying, from a matchup standpoint, uh, it's it's a problem for the Chargers.
1: And through week two, I think it's important to note that we have the best right tackle in the NFL. He's the number one out of 64 qualified tackles. We have the best tight end in football out of 32 qualified tight ends, TJ Hawkinson. And we have the third best wide receiver, according to PFF, with Justin Jefferson. Like, when you think about all the best positions that you want to be the best in football at, I think we're there. (laughs) Yeah. I think uh, this is going to be a fun game to watch.
0: Yeah. Um, So, on the flip side, if I'm the Chargers... um... I, you know to me that it's blitz. about Eckler it, it's oh, it's Echler, what's yeah. what's Eckler's inclusion uh, mm-hmm. i think is about as important a question as there is here and we don't know that um assuming he plays um i i just don't know if the chargers style is to bully the vikings um so i don't think they can do what the eagles did with jalen hurts and rashad penny Uh, and DeAndre Swift so as much as I advocate for a team to do that against the Vikings because I think the opportunity is there and the bar is low I don't know that the Chargers can execute that so I think this is one of those deals where you try to beat the Vikings at their own game and the fact that you're on the road isn't great but you are playing in a controlled environment, a pass-friendly U.S. Bank stadium. So I, I just see this as being a track meet where Herbert, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Austin Eckler try to outpace and outduel Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, T.J. Hawkinson, etc. cetera. Um, so if I'm the Chargers, I'm kind of saying the same thing. I'm saying I don't really see a lot of pass rush there on the Vikings defense. I don't know that they're going to be able to guard Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. So I think the Chargers put the ball in the air a bunch, too. Make Ivan Pace or Jordan Hicks or whoever cover Austin Eckler on the ground. I think that's going to be a problem uh, for for the Vikings' second level. Um, so I I see a fun, fast-paced, uh, pass-heavy attack for the Chargers as well as the Vikings.
1: I think you're absolutely correct. I think uh, there's a chance that this could be a 40-plus on both sides of the ball yeah. uh, game. Yeah. I really do. I think this is going to be a really exciting game to watch.
0: Yeah, um, which is good for you because you're going to be in the building.
1: Oh, absolutely! Fifty-yard line. We're taking a client there. He runs a manufacturing firm uh, up in St. Cloud, and uh, we're taking down uh, to go watch the game. It's first Vikings game ever. So excited to go for a, a newbie uh, to an in-person Vikings yeah. game. So it'll be a, it'll be a good time.
0: Yeah. Now I think um, you you know it's you got a chance to even the season out, Giles, because yep. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna totally discount the Carolina Panthers, but um, that's who you play in Week Four. And we get to see them play. Uh, we're recording this on Monday morning. Um, so we're going to watch the Carolina Panthers play the New Orleans Saints tonight. Um, so, you know, kind of nice that we'll get a, uh, a firsthand look at them. But uh, big game for the Vikings here. Well, we'll get to our predictions. Big game for the Vikings uh, because it really puts them in a position to even things out, get to 2-2 two and two, uh, as they would then get ready to host the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I'm not going to go quite as high as I think you're going to go here i'm gonna say 31 22 the vikings win i think they'll score four touchdowns and tack on a field goal at some point um and get to and, and get to 31 points and and defeat the los angeles chargers so i think we'll get uh two or three touchdowns in this game uh but i think i think it'll be just too much i think the chargers are reeling i think they're banged up and i don't believe in their ability as a defense to stop the vikings offense so 31 22 i have the vikings Uh, getting into the right, uh, the correct column in the win-loss ledger. They get into the left side. They get a win. Move to one and two with their eyes on Carolina, uh, trying to get to two and two. What say you?
1: Yeah, this is a really tough one because there's what I think they should do and what I think they will do, right? And I think uh, Kevin O'Connell definitely has spoken publicly about wanting to get the run game going more, but I also think he's a very – driven person that does not like losing. And this is the first time in his entire career uh, at the Vikings that he's lost two in a row. So yeah. uh, the fact that he uh, has done that, I think he's going to come in with a little chip on his shoulder. Yeah. And I don't think our run game is good enough to try to slow the game down. So I think he knows that he's going to have to be a track meet here. Uh, yeah. But I also think, you know, the, 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 the matchup is, is kind of an interesting one. So maybe they won't score 40 points. So I think my, my final prediction will be 37, 31 Vikings.
0: Ooh, that'll be a fun one. That would be a yeah. fun one. So in both of our predictions, the over cashes. So if anyone out there has a gambling bent to them, uh, we're, we're predicting the over in that Vikings-Chargers uh, contest. All righty. Um, I think that's about all the damage we can do. Anything we left uh, left on the table, or are we good to go?
1: If any Minnesota Vikings players are listening right now, please hold on to the ball when come Sunday.
0: That would help. <laughs> That would help. Hey, in a track meet, a lost, lost possessions matter. You don't want to lose any possessions in this game. You're going to need all the points you can get. They will not be at a premium. Points aplenty. Hopefully the Vikings end the game with more than the chargers so that's going to do it for this episode of the wabcast 2.0 make sure you like subscribe watch and listen to the wabcast wherever you do that with all your other favorite football content especially podcasts google play apple podcast spotify and we're also on youtube so you can watch us uh, and tune in as well as listen to us love it when you guys join the conversation so please continue to do that on behalf of Giles, this is Wobby signing off for now Vikings Chargers, new and on Sunday, excited to break it all down and react to it next week with Giles. Until then, Skull Vikings.